get, get on my goggles. <clears throat> Today I'm going to be preaching from 2 Corinthians, and I wanted to read Paul's introduction to his letter, which I'll explain something about the letters to Corinthians in just a few moments. But I'm going to read from the first chapter of 2 Corinthians, and this is Paul's opening greeting. Paul has a way of opening his letters in love and yet in instruction. And so he says here in the first verse and following of 2 Corinthians, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in Achaia. Grace be to you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth in Christ. I want to read a little short story this morning. And it's about reconciliation. The title of it is, What Difference Does It Make? It's from Nuggets of Gold, and this is one found in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We know it has been asked a lot of times, and there have been undoubtedly many answers to the question, what difference does the Galilean make in our life? We recently ran across this true story that took place in a town in the Midwest. A Methodist church needed a janitor. The minister called his board together. He suggested that they employ a town loafer by the name of Anderson. There was silence for a short period, and then someone spoke. Is that the best we can do? He has been a bum for years. No one in the city has any respect for him, so they decided to wait another week and try to find someone else. Finally, in desperation, they employed the town bum. As time passed, he took pride in his work. He began to take pride in himself also. He kept the church clean and himself clean. He became polite, agreeable, and anxious to please. He became a polite, agreeable, for a year, he sat on the back seat at every service and was a most attentive listener. Then one day he went over to the minister's home and asked if he could join the church. The minister was glad that he made this decision. After another year, he went again to the minister and asked permission to teach a class of boys. He was granted the wish and was still teaching the class when the minister left for another church. It was several years before the preacher came back to town. Some of the faithful church members met him at the train. 
one of them greeted the preacher and spoke to him. I will drive you over to the home where you are to be a guest. Your host was tied up in a board of directors meeting at the bank and couldn't get away. You are to stay at the home of Mr. Anderson. The minister stopped and looked at the gentleman. He had a puzzled expression on his face. The gentleman explained what had happened. Mr. Anderson, <clears throat> Mr. Anderson is now one of the most popular and respected men in the city. He is president of a bank. A wealthy uncle discovered the transformation that had come over his nephew and left him a fortune in his will. He, he still teaches a class of boys in Sunday school. He is also the janitor for the church. Many times he has said that God cleaned my life and my soul, and as long as I live, I will personally see that his house is kept clean. The story is true. A town bum who took a job as a janitor when no one else could be found became one of the outstanding citizens of the city. We think that this story is a living example of what a little Jewish tent maker meant when he wrote, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. May I close by saying that this is not a new story about the Galilean. Can, <clears throat> excuse me. May I close by saying that this is not a new story about the Galilean can do for one. It is an old story. It is also a story of what he could do for anyone when he has his way in their life. May God add his blessing to the reading of the scripture and of this story from Nuggets of Gold. When Brother Eddie mentioned our visitors a while ago, we want to say congratulations to our visitor who just graduated from Florida Baptist College. And he and his wife are here today, and we're so happy for you. I said, well, thank you. God bless you. I went to a Baptist college, and I passed. <laughs> Some people wonder how I did it, but I'm glad I did. I have a question for you today. Do you mean to be mean? No? Okay. Are you ever mean? I heard somebody say no. I want to meet that person. <laughs> no, we have an innate nature of meanness. If you think about it, the wonderful things that the Apostle Paul did in establishing churches all over Asia Minor, one of those churches being the church at Corinth, and the church where he wrote a wonderful and beautiful love letter in chapter 13, and yet he was highly criticized. You remember when Moses was leading the children of Israel to the promised land. He was highly criticized. He was accused of things he didn't do. Paul was accused of things he did not do. He was blamed 
for trouble in the church when he wasn't even there. And so in 2 Corinthians, we find that that letter may have actually been the fourth letter to the church at Corinth. And the 1 Corinthians may have been the second. First and second referred to as canonical because they're included in our Bibles. That's what it means to be a part of the canon. I, I don't know why they refer to the Bible as a canon. I know it's explosive, it's powerful. And I know that Paul was an explosive and powerful man preaching an explosive and powerful gospel about an explosive and powerful Jesus. You say, Jesus explosive? Yes, remember him driving the money changers out of the temple? This was not meanness, but it was seriousness. And so 1 Corinthians is practical and instructional. 2 Corinthians is personal and autobiographical. So that's what we're looking at today, a personal and autobiographical, because it's talking about Paul and his relationship to the church at Corinth. And we find it was written to the church that was founded on Paul's first visit there. While in Ephesus, Paul learned about serious problems in the church at Corinth. And they find, he found out that there was great opposition to his ministry that he had performed there. Some people in the church were mean to Paul. They were cruel and heartless. They did some things that we would not expect. They were in opposition to Paul's ministry and doctrine, and he was accused of being fickle, authoritarian, without proper credentials, coward, lacking dignity, haughty, and fleshly. Paul demonstrates wisdom in revealing corruption, deception, and Jesus, Jews pretending to be Christian ministers domineering and lacking spiritual courage to build their own ministry. And so we could read from uh, the notes that are in my, in my Bible here, and it tells us about these things that were thrown at Paul like rocks at an adulterous woman. He was a man of great integrity, and yet these people in the church decided to turn on him and they formed a group and that group criticized him for all of these things that I just shared with you a moment ago now I, when I was in growing up as a boy in McGee, Arkansas I loved Royal Ambassadors that was my favorite part of church I loved studying about the missionaries and their lives Paul was a missionary so I love studying about his life, and it's a carryover from my boyhood. In my boyhood, we had a Royal Ambassador Pledge, and we had a Royal Ambassador uh, motto, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, be in Christ's stead, like reconciled to God. And we also had a Royal Ambassador song, and it went like this, my father is rich in houses and lands. He holdeth the wealth of the world in his hands of rubies and diamonds, of silver and gold. His coffers are filled, his riches untold. I'm a child of the king, 
a child of the king. With Jesus, my Savior, I'm a child of the king. And these verses of scripture that we get our, got our motto from in uh, Royal Ambassadors and our pledge from came mostly from the writings of Paul. And so I truly fell in love with Paul, who was formerly Saul when I was a boy. And I loved to read his letters and the things that he had to say. And I think he taught us some things. One thing that I think he taught us was making up. In chapter 5, verses 12 through 14 of 2 Corinthians, we read these words. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you a occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may be somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God. Or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, and that if one died for all, then were all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. There is a prayer that's called the Love One Another Prayer, and it was written by Peter Marshall. The prayer goes like this. Help us, O God, to treat every human heart as if it were breaking, and to consider the feeling of others as we do our own. Help us to be gentle and to control our tempers that we may learn to love one another. Give us the grace so to live this day in the name of Jesus who loves us all. Paul was appealing to those people in the church at Corinth who were raising such a stink and who were criticizing Paul and who were causing division in the church. He addressed them in his letter as beloved. He addressed them as if he loved them, and he really did. Paul knew how to love his enemies, but he also knew how to exhort them and correct them, and he did a great deal of that in his letters to the church. Because we have that innate nature, nature of meanness in us, that mean streak, God has provided through the Holy Spirit a formula written by Paul who, when known as Saul of Tarsus, was a, terror, a terrorist and an assassin. Now, we know what terrorists are today. In our day and time, terrorism makes the headlines almost every day. And so we realize that there are different kinds of terrorism, though. There are the terrorism of bombs or weapons, of cruelty, of battle, of fighting. But there are also is that of our mentality and our thinking. And so Paul not only addresses the meanness of these people, he also addresses their minds. He addresses them that they have thoughts that are outside of God's will as well as actions. But you know, most, most of the time, people do not act cruelly or meanly unless they thought about it first. 
They don't just get up one morning and say, today I just think I'm going to be mean. I think I'm just going to be a bad guy. I'm going to put on a mask and become a robber. Or I'm going to take a gun and go out and kill somebody. It takes place over a period of time of the fermentation of the soul. The souring of the spirit. And Paul addressed this as I read here just a moment ago. And some other verses were swore. He says, and that he, that he died for all that they which live should henceforth live unto themselves, not live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Paul is saying, don't let the flesh rule your life and your way. So he said, he teaches us here through the Holy Spirit three ways of really making things right with God. First of all, it's by making up. Making up with constraint and love. That's those verses that we read there in 12. It says, For we commend not ourselves again to you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf that you may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. He says, I want you to glory in Christ, not in your personal appearance. Don't look at yourself in the mirror and think how beautiful I am. But look at yourself in the mirror and say, how can God improve my life? How can I improve my attitude toward my fellow Christians? You see, we have people in every church that are members, but they don't come. And the reason that they don't come is because someone in the church has made a slur at them. Someone in the church has said something that hurt their feelings. Someone in the church has belittled them and has told them something that has broken their heart. And they're not coming to church. Now, all the problem doesn't belong with the person who said the wrong thing. The person who has been offended needs to know how to be able to take their burdens to the Lord and leave them there. And also, when we see someone else who is hurt and burdened, we need to know how to go to them and to help them to bear their burdens. Making up in the church means getting right with each other and getting right with God. God wants us to make up with Him and with other people. And that word that making up here in the scripture and as Paul has written is the word constrain. He constraineth us, the Bible says. And constrain means compelled to be agreeable. Compelled to be agreeable. Can you imagine that? I know some people I find awfully hard to be agreeable with. I don't think I have to call many names, but some politicians, uh, some lawyers, some neighbors, that we may find it hard to be able to get along with. But Paul emphasizes very strongly, and he sets the example of reaching out to his enemies in the church, to those who have falsely accused him to those who have run him down and tried to 
kill his, his influence in the church. And he handles it with loving, tender care. People get hurt. Have you ever been hurt? Yes. I don't know a person who has never been hurt. I don't know a person who hasn't had some hard troubles, some times of difficulty to wade through. We all do. Even right now, you may be sitting there as I am saying what I'm saying and reading these scriptures from the Bible, and you say, that's talking about me. And I need to reconcile myself with the Lord and with my fellow man. Making up is an important part of living the Christian life, of showing God that we mean business, that we're not just coming here just to listen to a sermon and sing a few songs and go home and say, well, we got that done. But be able to come here and to be able to hear God's word. When God's word says, be ye reconciled and say, that's me, I need reconciliation. I need to be making up with God. I know somebody that I'm not on good terms with and I need to go to that person in the spirit of Christ and I need to tell that person, I may not agree with everything you say, but I'm trying. I'm trying to develop a spirit of agreement with you. And I'm trying to love you like Christ loves you. And I want to be your friend. I want you back in God's house. I want you back serving the Lord. In order to do this, we must hold back worldly desires. That is to boast about ourselves and brag on ourselves or take credit where credit is not due. Now, along with that, even though we are not to be boasters and be proud of ourselves and take credit, but we are to expect when we do the right thing to be commended for it and not put down for it. That's not wrong. That's the way it ought to be. And so the scripture says we need to commend ourselves to others. That is, to have an honest will that intentionally reaches out to that person. You remember the old song about uh, latching on to the affirmative? Doing away with the negative and don't mess with Mr. In-Between. Don't mess with Mr. In-Between. Satan is Mr. In-Between. We've got to be careful. We've got to be observant because he knows how to tick us off. He knows how to get us angry with our brothers and our sisters, our family, our neighbors, our friends. He knows how to stir up trouble, and he has lots of help. He has his demons, but he doesn't only have his demons. He has a lot of human beings that seem to be constantly looking for some reason to be at odds, to be mad, to be frustrated, to be angry, to be temperamental. And Paul addresses these things with wonderful words of constraint. That is, trying to get people to be, dis, to be agreeable. Not only making up, but in verses 15 and 16, he talks about breaking up. Now, 
You might think this is a bad thing, but wait and listen what he says. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory, pardon me, to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not, but though, through, though outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Do you wonder how why it is that some people just seem to never grow old? They just keep getting sweeter and nicer and better and, and, and just they never seem to complain or grumble about things. The reason that's true is because they have broken up with spiritual judgment. They have stopped trying to be judge. They've even stopped trying to be juror and want to be as Jesus was, our defender. And you know, he's defending for us today. The Bible says he is there in glory, making intercession for you and me. Amen. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Jesus is taking our case to God's court. And you know what? You know who's going to win, don't you? When Jesus goes to court, he always wins. He went to court three times before he was crucified and they killed him and he still won. And he's still winning today. Break up with the use of spiritual jealousy. Die to self as Christ died for you. Be selfless. Avoid the flesh and the lust and the greed of this life. Have a right, righteous attitude toward God, toward his church, toward his people, and toward others, that you might help them to know there are certain things we need to break away from. We need to get away from criticism. We need to get away from gossip. We need to get away from robbing God of his tithes and offerings. And we'll get take up more of that on take up in just a minute. But we need to break up with all of these things, these thoughts, these wrong decisions. We need to break up a lot of Christians need to break up from these shyster preacher evangelists that are always taking your money. That are always taking and robbing you of your self-worth. And be able to listen to Paul as he says, be new, be fresh. And that's taking up. We need to take up new self. We need to make up with our fellow man and God. We need to break up with using spiritual judgment. And we need to take up the new self. For it says here in verses 17 through 20, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us for a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at all the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So we need to take up with the new self, the new eternal things, the things that last forever. And we need to spend less time on these temporary, unnecessary things that we get ourselves involved in. Do you know your life you know your habits. You know your thoughts. You know your desires. 
do they fit alongside Jesus? Does the Holy Spirit come alongside of you as that constant companion in the way that you are living your life? If not, break down before the Lord and take up the new self. Be born new. The Bible says you must be born again. You've got to be fresh and new to start out with. And if you must be fresh and new to start out with, don't you, as you get older and you get weaker and you get sore and struggle more, don't you even more so now need to take up with Christ and his ways of doing things. Be fresh, new, responsible. Be reconciled. Seek to be a friend of God and a minister of reconciliation. The Bible says freely you have received, freely give. And so in Matthew, I mean, Matthew 10, 8, we read these words. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out devils. Freely you have received. Freely give. Did you know we don't run around putting our hands on people's head and say, be healed. We don't run up and hit people on the chest and say, demons flee. But we can pray daily for people who are struggling and suffering. People who are in the throes of Satan's grasp. And Satan has a tremendous grasp on many people and they need to be freed they need to be set free from this old life and take up the new self and be reconciled seek to be a friend of God and a minister of reconciliation accepting your calling as an ambassador for Christ now you are you should be Christ's representatives wherever you are. Our missionaries that we send around the world are ambassadors for Christ. They are there pleading and beseeching in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. And this is a world that needs reconciliation. The world has gone mad. The world has gone wild. The world has gone sinful. The world has gone devil's way. And we need today to have the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ our Lord to give us the strength to stand for Christ in all things and not give in to these who are short-sighted and long-winded. And we need to give to God the things that are God's and to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. The Bible says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. So that's why we take up the offering, because God has entitled us to do so. He has given us the re responsibility of supporting his kingdom's work all around the world and at home, too. You are, or you should be, Christ's representative. And so, as we think about this, remember what Paul says in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. 
I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may present what is that good and acceptable and perfect, listen to that, perfect will of God. Beloved, we don't have the choice of whether or not to believe God's will. It is our mandate to believe God's will and to follow it day by day, moment by moment, second by second, never questioning the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, but yielding to his commission and his call. Is he calling you today? Is he calling you to trust in him as your personal Savior? You're here. You've never really said to God, I know I'm a sinner. I know Jesus can save me. I ask you today, Lord, save me. Save me today. Or you might say, yes, I know I should be your ambassador. I should be reconciled to you and other people, but I have been stubborn, and I have allowed Satan's trickery and chicanery and deceitfulness to get me into a wrong practice, to get me into the wrong mode and following the wrong spirit. Not the spirit of this world, not the spirit of the devil, but the Holy Spirit of God to guide us through every day. Are you here today and make a need to make a decision for Christ? Are you here today and you need to come to God's altar and pray? You may want to take somebody by the hand and say, I need your prayers. Will you pray for me today? Be ye reconciled to God, which is your reasonable service. Our Father, today, draw the net. Bring home those who are straying and wandering. Bring to Christ those who are lost in sin. And bring each of us to agreement with you. Jesus is right. I believe him. I accept him now. In the Holy Spirit's power, I come to you. We're going to sing our invitation hymn, and as we do, as God's calling and speaking,